You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Anybody guilty of short-term thinking? Anybody guilty of, you know, procrastination, short-term thinking? When I was doing my GCSEs, uh, very often my parents would be out at a midweek evening meeting and I was supposed to be doing homework and I would procrastinate until they came home, just about. Um, And I was supposed to be doing homework sometimes and and I would find Emmerdale very interesting all of a sudden uh, and then Coronation Street and then EastEnders. And before long, um, you're just thinking about the now so much that... But before long, you realise you're already in the future and time rolls on. I was shockingly bad at revising and getting down to it because there was a guitar in our house and that was enough to stop me revising. I was just wanting to just pick up this guitar and just go through this book and and work through how to do finger picking and and different techniques and, and all that sort of thing. Still trying to learn half of it, but anyway, it was a great, beautiful, wonderful distraction from revision. And so by the time GCSEs came along and we, we left school and you have a period of study leave and in that time I remember sitting in my room with all the notes I'd been given by my history teacher in different sections for different parts of the syllabus and, and sorting them in, into piles um, almost the night before the exam and just feeling absolutely overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed by the enormity of what I had in front of me and so needless to say the overwhelmed feeling I had at that point didn't go away through the exam I looked at exam questions and I did my best and on results day I was underwhelmed by the results that I received because I was guilty of short-term thinking I was guilty of just thinking of the now when I could have been thinking of the future and knuckling down and getting on with some stuff. And, and we like that in life. It's quite normal for us. Procrastination is a bit of a killer. Uh, but how much more when we're thinking about eternity and the end of our lives and what goes on afterwards, should we be actually thinking a little bit more about that now rather than waiting for someone's funeral to be thinking about it? Because sometimes the only stuff we hear about eternity is at funerals. And some of the funerals I've been to, all you get is some sentimental, meaningless stuff that really doesn't help anybody. It's just some nice thoughts about what might make people feel more comfortable and so we don't really think about these things well I moved on from I I did actually pass my GCSEs just not at the grades that I could have done and then the A levels um, even more overwhelming but I just scraped through um, enough to get myself on a a degree course at Bible College so thank the Lord for that it gives you what you need Um, and so that was great but after A levels I spent two years in an accounts department of a company that manufactured big round steel things like um, well, it doesn't matter, louvre dryers, if you're interested, uh, and other things. And then a second company that made manhole covers. So it was really exciting. But I was working in an accounts department. And, and by year two, the company had set up a pension scheme. And I refused to join the pension scheme because I knew that I was just biding my time, getting a bit of life experience before going on to Bible college. I knew I was called to the ministry. And so when the... Um, the, the, the account, the, my boss actually, because I was working in accounts, tried to talk me into joining the pension scheme. I had to come clean and say, actually, I'm going to be 
resigning very soon because I'm going to go to Bible college. But until then, it just looked like I was being absolutely foolhardy. He was trying to say there's no better way of investing for the future than this. And what would you say to somebody who was 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, and they're refusing to invest in a pension? You'd say, wise up, make sense of your life. Put a little bit away now and don't be guilty of short-term thinking. The little you put away now will be um, so much more important later on. So how much more when we retire from this life should we be thinking right now about what happens in the future? So I don't know everybody here and some of you know Jesus as your saviour and some of you uh, may do or may not or may not be sure but today I want to make it absolutely crystal clear what the Bible says about eternity and that's impossible I can't really make it absolutely crystal clear about what the Bible says about eternity I have wrestled with this talk sermon more than any other sermon I have preached ever and I've started preparing for it on Monday morning and apart from a few important appointments that I've had with different people all I've done is just wrestle with this topic so I'm going to pray now Uh, I've whittled down what I wanted to say from reams of notes to uh, well quite a few slides but I don't want to overwhelm you with with stuff Um, but it's a difficult subjects to get your head around and then it's a difficult topic to deliver to people in a way that is easy to to follow and understand and keep the main thing the main thing so let's just pray uh, and ask God to um, speak to us all as as we go through some scriptures today heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you that you have made the important things plain the main things are the plain things in the bible and the plain things are the main things so we thank you for your cross we thank you for your resurrection we thank you for your ascension into heaven we thank you that you have paid for our sins and allowed us to get into heaven we thank you that one day we will see you face to face if we believe in you we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel but as we try and fathom the unfathomable God's ways of dealing with eternity and as we try and get our finite minds around the infinite please help us Lord help me to just speak what you want to say and help us to understand what you want us to understand in Jesus's name amen amen I thought that prayer was going to go on longer than the sermon for a minute okay let's just shut these blinds for a moment if it's any clearer because the next slide the the text a bit smaller it's a bit better isn't it so first of all let's talk about heaven that'd be nice won't it okay heaven it's an interesting word heaven because it is used to mean different things actually in fact dad was talking on Wednesday night about how in Greek the word heaven can mean the sky and so it's you have to distinguish in the Bible whether the word is actually talking about just the skies the heavens can mean the sky or actually this place where God resides so it can be used as a general term just to mean the place where God lives Um, But let's have a look at some scriptures about heaven. First of all, for us as Christians, it is a perfect place for us to look forward to. In fact, right back to 
Abraham, it's referred to in Hebrews, that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect, architect and builder is God. So even right back in the days of Abraham, we're told that there was a concept of something after death. It says that when Abraham died, he went to be with his ancestors. It didn't say just Abraham died. There is something after death for us to look forward to. And it's referred to here as a city. In Hebrews 13, it says, here we do not have an enduring city. We don't have a city that lasts forever, but we're looking for the city that is to come. And then again in Hebrews 11, it says, those who live by faith were longing for a better country. So we've expanded our territory already from city to country, a heavenly one. He has prepared a city for them. That's for the, for the righteous, for those who lived by faith. He's prepared. And Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. So we know already that heaven is a place to look forward to. We will see him as he is. This is Jesus. We're going to see him in heaven as he is. We will see his glory. And not only will we see his glory, but we will be like him. There's going to be a change that takes place between who you are now. And I've got quite a bit to talk about uh, that I've chosen to select. I could have talked about different things to do with heaven, streets paved with gold, pearly gates, things like that. I'm not doing that today. I just want to talk about your future body um, because I found it quite exciting. Because uh, I've had a few aches and pains recently. Uh, I'm not even 50 yet. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, it says in 1 John 3. And in Philippians 3, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. That tells me that my, this world is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there. Notice how for the Christian, death isn't something that we fear. We sang it in one of the songs. Death has no hold on me. I'm not afraid of death. Death is a gateway. It's a doorway to something better. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There's a lot of future tense there and notice that we are awaiting a saviour and you might actually if you examine that think to yourself but I thought we don't need to wait for a saviour because Jesus has come and he's died and he's risen from the dead and all that but he's coming again and that's what I believe the writer Paul is talking about. We're waiting for a saviour because there are some things about heaven that are not yet but we'll come to that soon. Let's keep thinking about these new bodies, okay? For we know that if the earthly tent, that's Paul, Paul was a tent maker. So I imagine he was making some tents and he was using just what was familiar to him and, and referring to it to help use this analogy to help us understand that right now, the body we've got now is like a tent compared with a, a majestic building that we will have. So I'll finish the reading. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So our bodies are going to be better than they are now. Are you glad about that? 
Anybody happy with their body right now? I'm actually very happy that I've got two legs, two arms. I can run around like an idiot and wrestle the dog and play with, you know, I can do lots of things. But there's something even better to come. I'm excited. But I'm not going yet. I'm going to stick around for a while. I believe that's God's will. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Now, this starts to make us think about Jesus' second coming, as you'll see in the next few verses. And I'm not going to talk about the second coming, which part of my uh, stress this week was just thinking about what do I include and what do I not include. But um, what I will say is the amazing talks we've been having on Wednesday nights will culminate in a talk about Jesus' second coming. We've been looking through key points about, key truths about Jesus. So uh, that's to come. But anyway, um, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, how foolish to ask what your body's going to be like. I didn't think it was foolish. I feel a bit bad now. Sorry, Paul. Um, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So what we've got here is a new analogy, not about a tent and a building. Put that one to one side for now. We're thinking about your body as a seed being sown into the ground. And we know that our bodies rot in, uh, and sometimes they're cremated, aren't they? It's a horrible thought, really, and I'm, I'm sorry to deal with this. But um, uh, what we sow dies. When you put a seed into the ground, it actually has to disintegrate and die in, in order for something completely different. You wouldn't believe, would you? When you've, when, even as a kid, as primary, uh, primary school, when you plant those little seeds, maybe cress. Who grew cress on a piece of toilet paper as a kid? You wouldn't believe what could come out of that tiny, tiny seed. And that's what Paul is trying to explain to us here, that, that when we... we we plant our bodies in the ground, what you sow is absolutely nothing like what you're going to get in the future. What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So he's really uh, you know, making sure we understand the analogy here. Uh, in the same passage, he says there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, stars. Um, and star differs from star in splendor. And all I wanted to take from that idea was that some people kind of are worried that when we get to heaven, we get this whole new body and everything and... Um, Will I be me? I kind of believe you will still be you and you'll be recognisable as you. And star differs from star. You, we won't all just be this, this blur of, of stars and bodies. He's, he's not saying we're going to be stars and that's some kind of nice romantic comforting idea. He's not talking about that. Don't get confused by the idea of stars. He's saying just as each star has its own identity and is glorious and beautiful, so will we. We will have an individuality to us will be identifiable as one another. So I, I just think that's quite exciting. Still in 1 Corinthians 15, he goes to, on to say, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It, it, uh, it is raised imperishable. Right, so this is just telling us what I've explained earlier, that as you plant a seed, it grows into something amazing. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. But look at some of the words that are used of your future body. It is imperishable. You're going to have an incorruptible 
you know, you see some of these uh, Marvel heroes and you see, you know, bullets bouncing off superheroes and all that sort of thing. You're going to have an imperishable body. There won't be any bullets in heaven anyway. But, um, although there might be just for fun, you know, just to have a bit of, uh, <laughs> a bit of paintballing or whatever, but you'll be imperishable. It is sown in dishonour because, you know, by the time you come to the end of your life, you know, there's, there's not much dignity. You know, we try and die with dignity, but um, there is a dishonour sometimes we feel as we get older about our bodies. But it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So your new body will be imperishable, glorious and powerful. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. You will not be the same, you will be changed. Uh, all those aches and pains will be a thing of the past, but also all the physical limitations we experience today will be a thing of the past with your glorious, miraculous, incredible, superpowered body. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And so I, never mind thinking about what heaven's going to be like, um, just what it's going to be like for us um, so who is heaven for? Well, it's for people who believe in Jesus. And it says, uh, Jesus himself said, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. We heard a lot about belief in our worship earlier on. And uh, the ultimate belief to have is to believe that Jesus came for you, he died for you, that he defeated death and sin and hell for you and was raised into heaven for you and that you can follow him when you die into to be with him. And he said again, believe, sorry, the, the Bible says in Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That was in response to the question, what must I do to be, be, uh, to be saved? Uh, in other places, we're told, repent and be baptized. We've got to turn away from our sins. We've got to believe in Jesus. And baptism is a symbol of, of all of that, of, of, of being buried into the old life and coming into a new life as we come out of the water. So heaven is for those who believe in Jesus. Heaven is for those who call on his name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, quoting the prophet Joel there. Heaven is for those who speak out their belief. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Heaven is for those who love him. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and, no, uh, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who, who love him. These are things God has revealed to us by his, by his spirit. They're not things that we can work out on our own. They're not things we can logically, philosophically figure out. They have to be revealed to us by his spirit. So just to go through those, um, for anybody who perhaps doesn't believe in Jesus this morning or hasn't completely committed their life to Jesus, heaven is waiting for you and the Lord will prepare a place for those who believe in Jesus, who call on his name, who speak out their belief and who, who love him. And who can not love him? To know him is to love him because he is lovely, he is beautiful, he is wonderful, he is amazing. And he is the image of God, the radiance of God himself is Jesus. And I urge you to give your life to Jesus this morning if you haven't already done so. And if you feel like you're far from God, just 
Give your life back to God. Start again and say, God, I surrender. As we've heard uh, people praying as well in the pre-service prayer meeting, just talking about um, surrendering everything to him. That's what we need to do. But let's go on. Because heaven is for when Christ returns. So this is where it gets a little bit interesting for some people um, because we, we have this, this concept of heaven and we do talk generically about heaven as the place where the righteous go when they die and we talk about people being in heaven but Jesus said he will create a new heaven and a new earth and that has not yet happened. That is in the book of Revelation, that is in the end times and so there is this in-between stage that we need to sort of try and get our heads around it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. This is at the end. This is when judgment comes. This is when Jesus comes back. We believe that Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And he will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ, that means people who are in Christ, that means Christians, who have died, the dead in Christ, will rise first. But I thought they'd just died and gone to heaven. So what's going on here? Are we getting confused? I hope not. We'll, we'll talk this through. Let me just carry on reading. After that, we who are still alive, so we're, we're saying that if we're alive today and Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will have already uh, risen when Jesus comes. And then uh, we who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with, we will be with the Lord forever. So Jesus is coming back. The dead in Christ will rise first and we will go to meet him and meet them, to be with them in the air. That's at the end of this world. That's when Jesus comes back. So that all gets a little bit interesting. Now, some of you... Um, have been Christians a long time and will have studied various things. Some of you will be aware uh, that in the Old Testament, it talks about people going down to the realm of the dead in the NIV. Uh, the actual word that's used is sheol, S-H-E-O-L. It's a Hebrew concept. Now, as Christians who, who believe the whole Bible, we believe in an idea called progressive revelation. And that means that what Adam knew about God was less than what Moses knew. Because progressively, over time, um, God reveals himself to, to mankind. And what, um, who did I just mention? Moses. All right. So what Daniel knew, for example, who came a lot later, was probably a lot more than what, than what Moses knew. And Moses probably knew more than Abraham, who knew more than, than Adam. As God reveals himself... To people, And so early on in the early writings, um, actually the oldest book we think is Job, um, not Genesis, Job. And that has some phenomenal understanding and, and revelation. Um, but anyway, generally speaking, we get this idea that over time there's a progression of thought about this realm of the dead. So where Sheol, this place of the dead, originally just kind of means this shadowy underworld where the, where the dead are, um, as you go through time and read um, different things that are written, there comes to be this, this sense of Sheol being kind of split into two places. And by the time Jesus comes around, there's 
there's, there's a lot of writings outside of the Bible as well. The, the Jewish culture was that, um, and by now a lot of people are speaking Greek and they're using the word Hades to mean the same place. Um, there's kind of a gap between two areas. There's a place of the righteous dead, those who lived by faith, and there's also a place in the, in, in, in the, in the place of the dead for those who... The, those who died that didn't follow God. And, and there's a whole, almost a whole uh, chapter in Ezekiel about these tribes going down to the place of the dead and being ridiculed for not following, following God. Um, so there's kind of this confusion for some people about what this Sheol, this uh, Hades place is. By the time we get through the New Testament, Hades has come to mean the, the place of the unrighteous dead, the place where people go that didn't follow God or didn't, um, didn't follow Jesus. And, and so we, we have the word paradise as well. Okay, Paradise for those on, on, the, on the side that followed Jesus that were... Um, that were righteous, those who live by faith, they're in paradise. So now we've kind of got this idea of Hades and, and paradise in this kind of place of the dead that not yet in heaven because Jesus hasn't come back. Even in the Old Testament, uh, they were waiting for the, this, this, end, this judgment day. So they, they knew something else was going to happen. But in the meantime, we're all in the place of the dead. So you could say, well, a lot of that thinking came between the Testaments and there's a lot of writing about it between, there's about 400 years between the Old and the New Testament and, and you can't build doctrine on those things. So we've got to look in the New Testament to see if any of those ideas are, are validated. So the first thing I noticed was that um, when Jesus was on the cross and um, and the thief next to him, one of them hurled insults at him and the other one said, uh, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now think about the, think about the thing that the thief said, when you come in your kingdom. He's already got this concept of uh, a, a judgment and a, and a future kingdom. But Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say heaven and interestingly paradise is a really old word in fact the Hebrews um, nicked it off the Persians and it means a walled garden originally uh, or an enclosed area and um, it came to mean as over time as language changes uh, it, it came to mean by the time of Jesus it, it meant this place of the dead that was, was, was a beautiful place. Um, it was sometimes called Abraham's side. And if you have an, a, a King James version, it's referred to as Abraham's bosom, which I'm just glad the NIV did away with that and called it Abraham's side, because actually it's more accurate. It's, it's, they, they used to refer it as Abraham's side with the, with the idea that um, at a banquet, it would be the most honoured place to be, it would be next to Abraham's side because he was like the father of the faith they hadn't seen Jesus yet and and so to be at Abraham's side was absolutely incredible uh, and so Abraham's side or paradise so for Jesus to say that and not say something else Jesus was picking up on what he knew this thief would understand and the people listening would understand and would be recording the gospel today you will be with me in in paradise. Okay, so that's, that's interesting. But Jesus also told a story which includes this idea of Abraham's side or paradise and includes the idea of Hades. And um, I'm not going to read the whole story, but um, 
Many of you will know it. There's a rich man and um, outside his gates lies Lazarus, who's poor and covered in sores. It's quite a graphic story because uh, even the dogs would come and lick his sores. So you feel sorry for this, for this guy, but he is one of the righteous. He, he lives by faith, even though he's li- living um, in poverty. And so when they both die, the rich man ends up in, in Hades, in torment, and the the, the poor guy called Lazarus, no connection at all to the Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Don't be confused by that. You can have two people with the same name. You may have noticed that. Um, Lazarus is in paradise. And there's this chasm between, we sang about a chasm this morning, didn't we? Uh, how great the chasm. And that's exactly what it's like in this story that Jesus tells In Hades, where he, the rich man, was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. And he cries out and says, you know, can I just have a drop of water because it's so hot here? And um, and they they say, well, I can't get to you because of the chasm. Okay, so there's this divide in the place of the dead. And that is part of the truth about eternity. So, we've got a place of the dead... I've told you some ideas about that. I'll leave you to make your own mind up. We've got a place where the righteous go when, they, when, when Jesus comes back and Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth. But what about hell? What about hell? Can we get away with avoiding the idea of hell because it's just too painful? It's just too awkward. And in fact, it's just not politically correct and in this day and age do we really believe in hell well if there was no hell then God would not be a God of justice but it still doesn't seem fair I still don't like this idea somebody said um, one of the things I read this week was that um, if well based not if somebody said that if not if somebody said that the punishment there you go i was going I'm, i've got another sentence beginning with f but that's coming beginning with if but that's coming later take a breath john the punishment sometimes is in a court of law and this is written by an american so in in the in in the court of law, the punishment is not always determined just by the crime but by who the victim was so if I pull, there's the if sentence now. If I pull a knife on uh, someone in the street, the idea is that my punishment might be different from if I pull a knife on the Queen or on Donald Trump or whatever the President of America is at the time. Whatever you think about them, they're the President, okay? And in many courts of law, the argument is that the victim, whether you think that's right or wrong, determines the punishment. Now, when we sin, we go against God's laws. He's actually the lawmaker as well. And we go against a perfect God who created the universe. And so if the punishment isn't just about what I did, but partly about who I committed the offence against, then to commit an offence against a holy, infinite God is far more serious than to commit an offence against a human being. And the truth is that even if I offend one of you by my sin, I'm offending God. David said it in the psalm, in Psalm 51, against you only have I sinned 
Well, it wasn't actually true, but he was so aware that his sinfulness was an offence to God that so overtook his thinking that it felt like, against you only have I sinned. There is a place for punishment if God is to be a God of justice. If there is no hell, then why would we even evangelise? Why would we try and share our faith with other people? Because if all they do is die, then there's probably no point really worrying about it. In fact, if there's no hell, then we might as well just do whatever we like while we're here and hope for the best in the future. The Bible teaches that hell, I've only got two slides on this, you'll be pleased to know. The Bible teaches that hell is a place for those who are condemned at the final judgment. Jesus said, whoever does not believe will be condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by whom we can be saved. And in John 5, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now don't get confused with uh, good works here. Um, those who have done what is good and what is evil, uh, the good thing is to obey the gospel. It says later on, um, it's about obeying the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Hell is a place of punishment and destruction shut out from God. And I think if, if we can get our heads around one thing about hell, the idea is that it's separation from God. If you think that um, everything good comes from God, says so in the Bible, every good and perfect, every good and perfect gift is from uh, our Father of heavenly lights, the Father of the stars, God, creates everything that is good and perfect then we don't realise how much of God we're experiencing even when we don't follow Jesus. All the good things, you, you bump into people on the coast path or just enjoying the sunshine or enjoying a, a, a beautiful glass of wine or a, whatever it is, they're do, a beautiful meal or whatever it is they're doing, um, all those good things are because God created this world and it's God's footprint and th fingerprint and stamp on everything that is good. And to be shut out from everything good and shut out from God's presence entirely, we don't realise how much of God's presence is around us. And we won't do unless we end up in a place that is completely shut out from God. They will go down, it says, then they, the unrighteous, will go down to eternal punishment. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, which is to believe. To obey the gospel means to believe. It's not salvation by works. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Didn't want to read that, but I don't want to avoid what the Bible says. It's for us to work out how we respond to that. The good news is that it says in 2 Peter 3 that God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. God isn't just whipping people off to hell because he loves to send people to hell. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And this idea of God being patient with you reminded me of the psalm that says the Lord is um, slow to anger and rich in love. 
The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And the Lord is good to all and he has compassion on all that he has made. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And he is patient with us. There is salvation available. He does not want everyone to perish. He doesn't want perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. It says, this is good in 1 Timothy 2 verse 3, and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But we cannot be saved without exercising the free will that he gave us in the beginning. We cannot be saved without taking a step of faith, obeying the gospel. So short-term thinking is to enjoy our lives now, which I actually believe God wants us to do anyway, but only to in short life, sorry, short-term thinking is to only enjoy our lives now, thinking only of ourselves and our own pleasure and not thinking about eternal things. It's often said that life is, life's not a rehearsal. We need to get on and enjoy our lives. We need to get on and do things. We need to do things because life's not a dress rehearsal. Interestingly, as I had another look in um, one of the best-selling books in America, actually, called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church, he says, um, life on earth is just the dress rehearsal before the real production you will spend far more time on the other side of death in eternity than you will here. Earth is the staging area, the preschool, the tryout for your life in eternity. It is the practice workout before the actual game, the warm-up lap before the race begins. This life is the preparation for the next. And that's the truth about eternity. Let's bow our heads. First of all, Lord, we, we thank you for the amazing hope and the amazing promise that we have in you. Just to think about the bodies we're going to receive when we finally make it to heaven. We thank you. We thank you that we, we get there by your grace. We get there by taking that step of belief. And we also are dumbfounded by the the words that we read about the afterlife for those who don't accept you. And so as Christians, those who have chosen to follow you, we pray that you would just inject us with that understanding of urgency to spread your word with those who don't, haven't yet received it. And we don't understand what happens to people who... Um, who we haven't managed to reach or people haven't reached. We don't understand so many things. There's so many questions I have not answered today. But we choose to trust you with the future. And we thank you for what we have and we trust you with everything else. I wonder if there's anyone this morning who just wants to make a fresh commitment to Jesus to make sure that, yes, I, I, I don't deserve it, but I know that I need to give my life to Jesus so that I will have that place in eternity in heaven with Jesus. I realise now that I've been guilty of short-term thinking and I will spend all this time in eternity and I want to spend it 
with him. If that's you this morning, I'd invite you to just raise your hand now and I'll say another prayer for you. Just put your hand up now to give your life to Jesus and follow him. Well, in that case, Lord, we, we choose to pray one more time for our unsaved friends, our unsaved relatives, for those who are not going to get to heaven without turning to you because you are a God of justice. And while we wrestle with some of these ideas and we don't, we don't say it pleasantly that people won't make it, but your Bible, your word, the Bible teaches things that we have to live in line with. And so we pray for our, and maybe you, you can think of someone even now, just think of an actual person, our unsaved friends, our unsaved relatives. And we plead before your throne, Lord God, that you will enable us to have the boldness to say what we need to say, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we will speak your words and not our own. And Holy Spirit, while you're giving us the boldness, you'll give them the conviction to turn to you. Only you can do this. And we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.